Welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Lauren Landis and the on-time Patty Fink. Yes. Here. <laughs> you, you, you be here. I be here. She was so on time. She didn't even send uh, running a little late text no, message. No, because I was, I was way ahead of time. Actually, way ahead of time. Which is on time. Which is. <laughs> but you know, it's the the daylight savings time thing happened last night. So if you're if you're listening, thinking it should be a different show, we're here. <laughs> It, that's what it is. Most people set their clocks ahead by one hour. Patty set it ahead an hour and four minutes. Must have been. Must have been. You know, I didn't even change my the, the clock in my bathroom, and so now it's correct. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if other people do that, but I well, you know what? leave it alone. These days, you really don't. There's not much to change. All electronic devices automatically yes. update. There's not really much. Well, this you is have a battery-run analog clock. Battery <laughs> <laughs> this, this presumes that you are, you know, you weren't born in the '60s or '70s. True. Because then your clocks don't necessarily update by themselves. I can't imagine being born in the '60s or '70s. Hmm. I can't either. <laughs> yeah. I can. <laughs> have a long history in the 60s and 70s, so I guess I qualify. <laughs> I did have to change the clock in my car. But other than that, everything else is automatically updated. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, my, my, I got confused on the way here because my car was an hour earlier. And, yeah. And you were speeding. I, w I was, just a little bit. But don't tell the police that. And that is our guest today, Shelly Skeen. She was with us, oh, about... Two months ago, month and a half ago, something like that. Um, we realized there were a couple of big cases that we hadn't talked about, so we said, Shelly, you have to come back soon. Uh, we're going to be talking about a um, client of Lambda Legal. Shelly is the senior staff attorney at Lambda Legal here in Dallas. Uh, a client who is suing their former employer, the Arboretum, for discrimination. We also need to talk about... Amy Meacham's uh, injunction against Governor Abbott's declaration that trans parents of trans kids are child abusers. And must be investigated. And must be investigated. And, and for context for our listeners, uh, Amber Briggle has been on our show several times, mm -hmm. and she's one of the people who said a uh, CPS investigator showed up at her door. Uh, she invited her in. And the investigator, all they could conclude was that this is a very loving home. Um, and they didn't, I guess, they, well, what happened in that case, Shelley? Sure, sure. So the background go, kind of goes like this. Um, at the last legislative session, right, we had multiple bills uh, that were proposed to stop gender-affirming care and or to define it as child abuse for health care providers and parents and families who provided that type of care to their kiddos. And so that did not pass through the legislature. And then we saw in July the governor went on a radio show, the conservative radio show, and said, well, if the legislature's not going to do this, I've got a way to do this. And so then after that, Representative Krauss, who is part of the, what they call the Freedom Caucus, which is a very conservative part of the... Far right-wing radical, in my opinion, but... 
You can say that. Yes, go for it. Um, Patty can say things on the radio that I cannot. But um, in any event, so Representative Krauss sent a letter to Attorney General Paxton asking whether gender-affirming care could be considered child abuse under the Texas Family Code. And so on about February the 18th, well, actually the letter stated February the 18th, but it wasn't released uh, until the 21st, Paxton said, yes, gender-affirming care can be considered child abuse. So the very next day, Governor Abbott issued a directive, and he said, I'm directing DFPS, or CPS, the commissioner who handles our child welfare system in our state, to begin investigating any parents who provide gender-affirming care for their kiddos, right? And so these parents are providing medically necessary care that's recognized by every major medical association and mental health provider. Right, and let's be clear that you're saying uh, medically necessary based on what the American Medical Association, the American Psychological Association, all these professional organizations. American Academy of Pediatrics. Right, and Pediatric Endocrinology Association. I mean, the list goes on and on. The Texas Medical Association. And the um, the, the uh, social work organization. I don't know what, what they're called. The American... National Association of Social Workers. And we have a Texas chapter that's been really, really strong. Which all CPS workers would come under. Not necessarily all, because it depends on what their training is. Mm-hmm. You know, whether, not all are social workers. Right, right, right. But not all, not all CPS folks are necessarily mm-hmm. social workers, per right. se. So, but those who are do come under that organization, and by going out and investigating parents of trans kids, they're violating their own organization's code of ethics. It's right. They have a code of conduct that says that you cannot discriminate based on sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression. And so when we had the governor's directive to DFPS, which is the Department of Family and Protective Services, and I'll just use the word CPS going forward, um, when the governor issued that directive, then the commissioner of CPS, Jamie Masters, said, okay, we're going to follow what the governor is saying. And so then they started opening up investigations immediately that week, which was the opinion came out on, or the directive came out on the 22nd, the opinion on the 21st of February. And so we have received a flood of phone calls from parents who are scared, right? Um, People who are really, I mean, they're afraid that their children are going to be taken away from them when all they're trying to do is give their kiddos a loving, healthy, you know, every possibility at having a good life. And for any of our listeners who heard uh, any of the times Amber has been on, she made it quite clear it's counseling first, counseling, 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 and some kids are put on hormone blockers and hormone blockers are completely reversible. There is no surgery involved. There's no, uh, you know, there's no, nothing else medical going on there. Yeah, our, our, our resident trans, uh, Leslie McMurray, has been on several times, too, and she's broken down piece by piece of how, the, how that, um, that, that 
process goes and there's no surgery involved. And but that's the notion, that's the misinformation that's being spread out there. And I gather that's the the Fox News version. Um that that's what, you know, spurred this this being called child abuse as people think that kids are getting surgeries and they're not. I think really at least the way that the governor's directive is directed at any kind of gender affirming care. So puberty blockers, gender form gender affirming hormone treatment should that be, you know, necessary and that usually doesn't happen until kids are 16 um, and again this is in conjunction with a team of doctors mental health professionals doctors and parents are making decisions about how to keep their kids alive I mean kids who are you know feeling like they don't fit in the body that they are in have a much much higher rate of suicide right between 48 and 54 percent have suicidal ideations and so part of what gender affirming care does and there is stops that and then having their families their schools their peers recognize them use their pronouns for who they are that's what we all want right we want to be recognized for who we are and valued for who we are well and there was a hearing i think last week um uh, with, that involved the commissioners from the dfps and the the chair or the executive director or whatever made the comment that that I don't know what we'll do for these kids. What is it that we could do for these kids? We're not helping them by investigating them. Um, but what's really disturbing to me is um, this is not, a, I mean, it's horrific going after the most vulnerable in our society. And they, the Republican Party in Texas does that repeatedly. Um, and these kids do need protection, but they don't need this kind of protection quote, protection. They need protection from bullying. Yeah, exactly. This is a state-sanctioned state bullying. This is, this right. is state-driven bullying of, of kids. Um, but by the way they described it, it has enormous implications for how adult um, people who don't identify as, as um, cisgender will be treated in our society. This is setting up adults for continued um, bullying because if, if they're, this is the way we treat our children. We call it child abuse for them to be them, who they are. What does that say for adults in the workplace or adults everywhere who identify as trans yeah. or non-binary or and gender C fluid? And CPS has been doing such a good job of taking care of the kids that are in abusive homes that, of course, we'd want to expand the right. number of kids they have to take care of, right? <laughs> right, right. So CBS is underfunded, right? They don't have enough employees. And we just saw, even this week, uh, we were talking earlier, that one of the third-party contractors that's located, I guess, in Bastrop has now been charged with sex trafficking of kids that were in their CPS's, so it's in CPS's care between the ages of 11 and 17. And so that's happening under CPS's watch. That's Those just are sick. the things that the governor and the commissioner should be looking at. And certainly the thing that's really that's crazy about this is look, Amber Briggle's been out there for, since 2016 talking about her family. She's invited Paxton over to her house. Right, and, and they had a nice dinner. 
Right, and he even brought dessert, as my understanding, <laughs> right. and it was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> um, but so all of these things have not been considered a violation of the family code, have not been considered child abuse. So why all of a sudden now? And why all of a sudden there, are we seeing resources taken away from the real problems in our current system where we have kids living in offices of CPS offices with people who are not trained to handle them. Why is this all of a sudden now the problem? Well, we know it couldn't have been political. <laughs> right. Just because the announcement was made one week before a primary election where the governor had serious challengers for the first time. So it couldn't have been that. So we ruled that out. So the head because of we trust our governor. The head of CPS, and I forgot the person's name that you mentioned, uh, decided to follow the directive of uh, the governor, but it's not law. What do you think prompted them to like? Okay, we have to we have to follow this again because it's not law. I think really what it's because it's the governor said so, mm. and that's part of the basis of our lawsuit that we filed. Um, and as everybody knows, we were able to obtain an injunction from Judge Amy Clark Meacham on Friday, a statewide injunction that would stop CPS from investigating families simply for having trans kids, right? Um, and so part of our lawsuit is saying, look, the governor, A, doesn't have the authority to go past the legislature. The legislature said, we don't want this. Governor said, well, I'm going to fix it. He doesn't have the authority to do that for multiple reasons, but he just doesn't have the authority to do it. And then when he issued the directive to Jamie Masters, who's the commissioner of CPS, and they started these investigations, that's not within her authority either because there has to be rules that are promulgated that have public comment before you can have that big of a policy change. And so the governor did it wrong and CPS has done it wrong and the people that are being harmed are families who are providing the best lives that they can for their kids. And who wants the government coming into, reaching into our private lives and telling us what to do when we're making decisions about how to raise our, our kids? Mm -hmm. And that's what's across the board. I mean, for one, um, the the state has been run for 30 years completely by the Republican Party of Texas, 100% at the state level. And they haven't fixed this. And every freaking legislation session that comes by, you know, they say, oh, CPS funding is a priority. CPS investigations are a priority. <coughs> this, is, this is, we've had Perry, we had Bush Perry, and now... Abbott, and they all say the same thing every every cycle. Oh, we've got to fix it. It's a horrible situation, and they never fix it. It's been it's been broken and severely broken for thirty years. Um, and then the sort of the the flip side of this, they just decide that they're going to have an, a, an attorney general, one who is indicted and for seven years now and has never been taken to trial. Wonder how that works. That's not political. It couldn't possibly be politi political. Be. <laughs> um, out of you know, with with no training, no understanding, no scientific background, no no not even seeking the advice of medical associations and physicians and scientists and social workers and all the people who do this work daily for people for families with trans kids. 
decides on his own that this is child abuse. I mean, th there's no basis for him to even say that. I think that's fair, right? And so the AMA, the American Medical Association, back in April, sent a letter to every governor of every state saying, look, gender-affirming care is medically necessary, it's peer-reviewed, it's best practices care, and it saves lives, and you, governors, don't need to be in the middle of telling us how to provide care to our patients. You're invading our right to do it in a way that is part of our oath to do no harm, right, and to help. And so, yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, so where does this case go from here? First, there was a, a temporary restraining order which applied only to the plaintiffs in the case. Right. Uh, and then the second hearing a week later, week and a half later, it was, it was, was extended. Friday, right. And that was the one Friday, uh, so it extended this to an injunction. Temporary restraining order would last how long, maybe 10 days? or So temporary restraining orders can last up to 14 days or until you have the hearing on the temporary injunction, which, so we had that on Friday. And then at the end of the day on Friday, Judge Amy Clark Meacham wrote a really beautiful order saying, here are all the reasons why I am issuing a statewide injunction to stop the governor, to stop Commissioner Masters to stop CPS, DFPS from holding these investigations simply because kids are trans. So and Paxton appealed the temporary restraining order. He did and about he lost. 28, 30 minutes later, something like that. Right, he lost. Uh, um, so he lost. So he appealed to the the Court of Appeals in Austin. And he lost. I like saying and, that. And he lost. And he lost on the facts and on the evidence. And so what happens with this injunction? Did he appeal that or is he going to or can he? Can he uh, appeal to the state Supreme Court? He, he could if he wanted to. So right now what we have is an appeal. An appeal is really simple. It's one, it's one page. It says basically I appeal. And so there's two reasons why uh, until we until we know more why he could have appealed. He's appealing the injunction, mm -hmm. and he's also probably appealing what I'm going to call the court's jurisdiction to hear the injunction in the first place. So he's challenging whether or not the court has the authority to pass on the injunction itself. And so right now he's claiming that the investigations can continue. and. Our position is that no, that's not the case. And to the extent that the governor, or, or should I say, uh, the commissioner intends on doing that, not only is it unconscionable, not only is it against the facts and the law, but by the way, the ACLU and Lambda Legal are right here, and we're going to we're going to fight this. We're fighting it every step of the way. And you're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. Uh, Shelley Skeen, the senior staff attorney at Lambda Legal, is our guest. And we'll be back with more with Shelley right after this. This is Alex Hanselka, and you're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM, Dallas. And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Laurent Landis and the late Patty Fink. And our guest is Shelley Skeen. She's the senior staff attorney at Lambda Legal. Just had a nice little victory uh, on Friday. We're talking about the uh, injunction that was filed against Governor Abbott and uh, Ken Paxton. Well, actually, Governor Abbott and then 
the Department of Family and Protective Services, so I'm going to call it again CPS, and then Commissioner Masters, who's in charge of CPS, who's in charge of the investigations and whether or not they should be started or not. And so what we did is the, the judge said, no more investigations, just because you have families with mm -hmm. trans kids. And you know, here's the, the scary thing about this, if you're a parent, hopefully if these, if these investigations um, proceed and they find nothing and these, these parents are cleared of no wrongdoing, the fact that you still have to deal with it, who wants to be, uh, have a CPS worker knock on your door, disrupt your home, go through every single thing in your life just to prove that you're not doing any harm to your kid. That, I can only imagine that's incredibly stressful. Um, you're, and you're already stressed out because you want to protect your kid. And let's say this, is, this does become law. Where does it stop? Okay, are, uh, are gay parents going to be investigated next? Just, you know, I can be investigated because a lot of people think what I'm doing is wrong because I, I have a husband and we have a kid. Well, that's, somebody could say that's harmful to a kid. That's child abuse. Where does it stop? Well, and even the, the, the accusation of it, the mere fact that yeah. someone came and knocked on your door, has ramifications Absolutely. for a lot of people in their, in their livelihoods, in mm -hmm. their very livelihoods. For example, if, um, if you're a pediatric nurse and CPS comes to your door and wants to make a, an accusation against you or somebody you know, called and anonymously and said there's child abuse happening in this family, you still have to go through all this stuff, but once your employer finds out, they may suspend you. Mm -hmm. They may um, fire you. Mm -hmm. They may do a lot of things that impinge your ability to, to... Lives have been ruined time and time again off of mere accusations. Exactly. And, and exactly. I want to say, Laron could seriously be accused of spoiling that kid rotten <laughs> <laughs> that i am guilty of <laughs> and that's a good thing to be guilty of well so that what's what patty is saying is exactly part of our lawsuit which is if a cps comes into your home and, and so by the way we have a help desk let me plug this for a second um, and also a telephone number you can call. So if CPS comes knocking at your door, here are some things you need to do. You need to say, number one, now is not a good time. Step outside of your house, keep them on the front porch, do not let them in your house. Say, now is not a good time, and we can reschedule this and contact our help desk because we have a cadre of lawyers in different parts of the state who understand this type of law, which is very, very specialized, and what to do in these situations. And most all of these lawyers have agreed to do these cases pro bono, uh, meaning for free. And so please contact us, whether you're in Houston, whether you're in Austin, whether you're in San Antonio, whether you're in Denton, whether you're in Dallas. We have lawyers who know how to do this. They're willing to help in the short term while we have our larger lawsuit going on. But the, but the key to what Patty was just talking about is, if CPS makes what's called a reason to believe finding, then that means that the parents go on a child abuse registry. Mm. And what that means is that if you want to go get a professional license in our state, so you want to become a nurse or perhaps renew your license, um, or if you're a lawyer like me, right? If you're on that child abuse registry, that is a reason to deny you that license or to stop you from being, so teachers, mm -hmm. doctors, yep. right? And, and the other part of that is to challenge that 
finding that putting you on that child abuse registry right now, it's almost a five-year process to just be able to challenge that because there's one, uh, I'll call it one sort of court with jurisdiction, and there's a four-and-a-half year backlog on that right now. So think about what that would do to someone's ability to have their livelihood, right? It's to earn a up, living, to be independent. So basically, if you get on this list, it's next to impossible to get off. It, uh, for a long darn time. And so what happens in the meantime, right? Right. right. So um, that's, one of the, that's one of the grounds for our lawsuit, mm -hmm. why we're saying, look, this creates irreparable harm that cannot be fixed unless there is an injunction stopping these investigations from going forward mm -hmm. just because you have a trans kid. And in Amber's case, um, she was one of the first five, I think she said, who had been investigated. Uh, is the fact that she's running for Denton City Council uh, could that have anything to do with it? In other words, it couldn't be political, could it? <laughs> right. You keep asking me that question. <laughs> I think, I think, you know, I think that's for all of us to chime in on, right? I, I, Amber was so out there in testifying before mm -hmm. the legislature, you know, going to the Capitol, inviting Paxton over over to her house, and so that goes back to my question of, in when she first went out and testified at the Capitol at a press conference and came out and said, I have a trans kid in 2016. And all those times since then, did CPS come knocking? Nope. Not when she went and testified at the legislature this year? Nope. Not when Paxton came over to her house? Nope. Not when she started running for city council? It's only after the governor's directive that we've seen this change. And the governor's directive was wrong and CPS is following the governor's directive was wrong, and so that's why we filed our lawsuit. Has, has, has any other state done this, concerning with this issue? Um, so we have, right, Arkansas passed a piece of legislation <coughs> at its last legislative session that said gender-affirming care, we're going to ban that. Mm. And the ACLU came in, so one of our partners here on the ground, we work closely with um, in this arena um, and they filed a lawsuit to stop that prohibition from gender affirming care from taking place and so right now and one mm -hmm. so the judge said we agree with you we're going to stop this again this piece of legislation and so that's still in the courts it's up at the court of appeals right now mm. so in texas where does this go from here are we waiting for um uh, an appeal from paxton well so we have an appeal from paxton on friday night and so where we go from here is Lambda's getting ready to say, here's the reasons why your appeal is not valid uh, and has no basis. And it's the same thing that the trial court said, which is, are that the facts and the evidence. So the evidence being expert witness evidence from a medical experts, and then also the facts on the ground about how this is impacting people's lives. And people are leaving our state. Mm -hmm right now. I mean, leaving our state or they are considering moving from one county to another county where we've had, for example, the DAs in certain counties saying, we're not going to prosecute this because the DAs in most counties are the prosecuting arm of CPS. So in Dallas County, you know, John Crusoe, Harris County, Austin, I think San Antonio has done it as well. Mm -hmm. I think there were five counties, five DAs in major cities. And what that does is that leaves the CPS lawyers mm -hmm to then come in and try to investigate these cases. And because they're underfunded, right, 
and don't have enough employees, that's going to be a big burden on them, which is, again, to me, you're reprioritizing from the things that are really a problem in our CPS system, which is, you know, the fact that we have kids sleeping in offices, the fact that we now are hearing about sex trafficking, that's not what we're going to focus on. We're going to take our resources and put it on families who are doing the right thing for their kids. When should we hear about Paxton's um, appeal? Uh, you know, I can't, I, to be honest with you, David, I There's don't, not a timeline on, or a, a set no, time schedule for There's it. not a timeline on it, but, you know, mm -hmm. they appealed the TRO decision. And mm -hmm. we turned around and said, hey, this appeal is wrong. And we got the Court of Appeals to side with Lambda and the ACLU mm -hmm. on behalf of our clients within about three days' time, four days' time. So um, I can tell you that we're, we're, we're fighting this one, too. Well, if they, if they try to go up through the Texas Supreme Court, all of whom are Republican, we saw that they just, like, blindly follow. I mean, there was a case not too many years ago um, where they, I was think it was on Hera in Houston, right? Um, where, where they said, "Oh, we're not going to review that," and then the governor said, "Yeah, you are," and they said, "Okay," and then they made a nine oh nine zero ruling in favor of the right, right wing. So they went from not wanting to even look at it, yeah, to a unanimous reviewing it and then siding with the governor. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, you know, they just did this last week with with the um, SB eight. SB eight. Um, but I, I think I have faith. I'm going to tell you, you may be, have not heard me say this before in our Texas Supreme Court, but I have faith in our Texas Supreme Court because here's what's happening, is the government is coming into families' private lives and the decisions that are made in concert with medical doctors and is imposing their will onto families and that is something that has typically whether you look at the United States Supreme Court or whether you look at our Texas Supreme Court we don't want government intrusion into our private lives that is something that the Republicans normally would say yes to I completely disagree so, okay what well, I would hope right I want to say that I hope that they're gonna see this for what it is which is frankly, I think political pandering to folks like Don Huffines in the middle of a political season and the people that are being harmed are to what you were saying earlier is how far does it go? But look at look at just SB8 days ago. What is, um, that, what is SB8? SB8 is the um, anti-abortion bill in Texas that is now um, before the Supreme Court mm -hmm. as one of the cases that they're considering um, that could look, revisiting Roe v. Wade, right. and there was a separate lawsuit that reached the Texas Supreme Court, um, where they sided with the the state law, and that law says that it's not on government agents and agencies that enforce it; it's the people. So and your neighbor can snitch on you, like sue you because they think you went and had an abortion, mm -hmm. and now what's happening? I, I mean, the Republicans think. I honestly believe they think some people should be never, ever interfered with, meaning them, and then everybody else has a right to, we can, we can question your vote, we can, we can say that you don't deserve to vote, we can say you don't, you don't deserve to have uh, reproductive freedom and bodily autonomy, but we do, we, we deserve that, but you don't.
I mean, look at this this woman in I, I believe it's in Idaho that said or or Indiana maybe um, that said we're going to do the same thing Texas did, but we're going to add to it that you can't leave the state and have an abortion. Wow! You have to stay here in the state of, state of whatever and have your baby. Wow. So I mean, they're going they're going after people who would leave the state to have a service they can't that is illegal in their own state. I mean, they so want total control over all these other people's lives, intimate, intimate lives, families, all of these things, but not themselves. And they get pissed off when they have to wear a mask during a right, pandemic. Right. That's that's a breach how, of their freedom. Now how un American is you you, you passed a law that citizens can't even freely move between states. Which is, is uh, ar- yes. it's a violation of the Constitution, right? <laughs> so there's, wow. there's that. But I think I think there is, and so to break down, I don't necessarily disagree with everything that Patty said, but I think abortion oh, I is do. such a... Spe- but that's just on general principle. <laughs> I think abortion <laughs> is such a specific issue. And and so I would hope, again, that the Texas Supreme Court would say these are family decisions. Let them make them in concert with their doctors. But also would point out with respect to SB 8, and, and let's, go, let's go to the Fugitive Slave Act. Right, we're gonna we're gonna make it a bounty on people's heads. Mm-hmm. You know that wasn't right then. Mm-hmm. It's not right now. And that's part of, in, in some framework, what's happening here, because anyone can make an anonymous complaint to CPS. Yes. Right? And so, and, and arguably, CPS is supposed to have, you know, procedures in place, because lots of times you have one spouse. ...about the other spouse or the parent, grandparents or what have you, but... And I think that's how this really... That little kernel that started all of this was a couple where um, where mom was a pediatrician and the ch- the child is trans. Mom wants to do the right thing by the kids. Incredibly supportive, supportive advocate for her child. Husband completely disagrees, and now is running for legislature. Yeah, I think As he's a, in a runoff too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think he's. But remember, in that case, though, mom got sole custody of that kiddo. A jury found that mom should get sole custody. So that's a jury of people who could really hear the evidence and gave mom sole custody and decision-making authority over that kid, kiddo, after, after hearing the evidence and the facts. So I think, I think that's where this sort of butted and yeah. people are, glass, are grasping onto that because that's, you know, that's another way they can you know, own the libs, so to speak. You know, just, just, just put their thumb on people. Yeah. George Takei tweeted uh, with the past couple of days, and I don't have it, but he basically, I'm paraphrasing here, that um, heterosexual people have been um, affirming um, straight kids' gender identity for years with hormones, and it's true. Athletes uh, mm-hmm. in, in high school get hormone treatments all the time um, with fake boobs, nose jobs, all of that, and nobody says a thing. So I thought that yep. was really interesting. It yeah. is so true. And, and I just want to say, Lauren, your fake boobs are magnificent. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> what, what I do want to do is move on to a case that you're working on locally, and it has to do with discrimination at the Dallas Arboretum. Sure. Give us the background of that case, and we need to take a break in about four minutes, so it, it, it's a complicated case. 
So, so, so that's that's David's way of telling me to be brief and not be too lawyerly. <laughs> you're you're right? good. Right? You're good. Yeah. She's an attorney. She can read through the lines. <laughs> right. So don't keep talking. So um, here's the here's the short and condensed version. We represent an anonymous plaintiff. Um, so please cut it out if I if I say their name, but who is gender fluid, gender exp- expansive who worked for the Arboretum, who was promoted to a, a, a position in charge of the children's garden and education. And our uh, clients started hiring staff that were non-binary, gender expansive, LGBT, who are also black and brown, BIPOC folks, um, and started bringing in different programming. So uh, programming about things like Day of the Dead and trying to really build that more diverse, more inclusive environment for not just the visitors, but also for the people that worked at the Arboretum. And... Uh, initially started using their pronouns in their email signature blocks. A bunch of other folks that worked at their Arboretum did as well, straight folks as well. And then there went there was an email that went out that said nobody can use pronouns, but that email didn't say for all the people that were using Bible verses or quotes, those stayed in everybody's emails. That was in the fall. And then in, the, in May of that year, our client was ultimately fired despite having performance evaluations that were above, way, were above standard and in part because at one point they introduced themselves and their staff introduced themselves with their pronouns to one of their supervisors. And what the story was is that conservative donors didn't like that. They felt like this was a political statement rather than a recognition of who people are for who they are. Well, if you're a conservative donor, don't you have the right to tell the place that you're donating to to fire people? Well, I think the bottom line here is that the city the owns the property. The answer to that would be no. <laughs> well, that, the answer to that would be no. Well, I think the key here, right, is is Dallas has a non-discrimination ordinance, which says that you cannot discriminate based on sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression. And the Arboretum sits on Dallas land and gets Dallas taxpayer money. And the contract that the Arboretum has with the city of Dallas specifically includes the non-discrimination ordinance. As do all contractors with the city of Dallas. We need to take a break. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. If you'd like to find out how the Dallas Arboretum planned Dallas blooms without gay employees, stick around. Hi, this is Candy Markham, and I listen to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. Listen. And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here with Lauren Landis and late Patty Fink. And our guest is Shelley Skeen. <laughs> Shelley uh, is, a se- is a senior staff attorney at Lambda Legal here in Dallas. Um, and, and I was only half joking. How does the Dallas Arboretum do something like Dallas Blooms without gay employees? Well, we're all gay people here. I think everybody has an opinion about that one way or another. I, I want to hear what, what, what my colleagues over here, the, the late Patty Fink, who was on time today. And, uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I, um, I, I think they should let equality bloom. 
Which is a good segue into next <laughs> Saturday at from what time? 10 to 12. From 10 to 12, there's going to be a protest about what the Arboretum has done uh, to their gay employees and, and to their LGBT but, employees. Yeah, it's not just gay people. In yeah. fact, it's probably less gay people than, than non-binary and gender fluid people. It's, it's really, it's LGBTQ plus people and people who are living at the intersections of those identities. So BIPOC folks and then also their BIPOC employees. Um, I think it's fair to say that people have come out of the woodwork contacting us since we have filed this case, not just LGBT people, but to let us know what the environment is at the Arboretum. And so, you know, the hope is that with our case and any other similar ones that have been filed or that might be filed in the future, that the Arboretum will recognize that, you know, the city of Dallas has donors, not just the donors that they've always had, but they've got the opportunity to get new donors who see this being a, a really great uh, part of the city of Dallas and want it to be more inclusive, want it to be more um, aware of all of the diversity in our city and in our state. And the visitors that come to the Arboretum are just that. And so it's not just about the donors, it's about how does the Arboretum move into the future? How does the Arboretum comply with its contract with, this, with the city of Dallas? Remember, the city of Dallas has its own flag that's gay. We have a gay pride flag that sits in June, Pride Month, at the at Love at City Field, Hall and right? Love Field, yeah. and police so, headquarters. So I would mm -hmm. hope that, that that's what the Arboretum hears, that this is that growing process that the bloom and the change towards equality happens, and that's what the protest is. So that's about. Saturday, March 19th, at, uh, between 10 and 12. Uh, and the Arboretum, if you're not familiar, you can, you can Google it, certainly, but it's um, just on the east shore, uh, east southern shore, of White Rock Lake. Garland yeah. Road. Go, go down Garland Road. Garland you can't Road. miss it. So where should people park? Do we even know? In the Arboretum parking lot? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you might have to pay the admission fee. To, I'm, I'm not sure. We're trying to work out the logistics so there'll be more about that. And just to be clear, I'm not part of the protest, but I understand that there are some organizations on the ground led by Steve Atkinson, who is um, pretty well known in our LGBT community here, the Resource Center of Dallas um, that does a lot of work with uh, LGBT youth that's been really important in, in the overall scheme of helping get the resources out to families who, uh, with what's going on with the governor's directive. So, but the resource center will be involved and then stay tuned for, Steve will let us know more. And uh, if you want to look uh, for it anywhere online, go to DallasVoice.com and we'll post something about it there. Go, go, going back to the lawsuit really quick. So you did point out that uh, most of us know Dallas Arboretum does sit on Dallas property uh, or Dallas land. And the contract with the city of Dallas does include the Dallas, city of Dallas's non-discrimination policy, which includes um, uh, gender expression, gender identity, and sex, sexual orientation. So has the city of Dallas gotten involved with this lawsuit directly? 
So right now, here's here's where we are, and just and also just to point out too, it's it's all of what you just said. So sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, but it's actual and perceived. So you don't have to be LGBTQ plus, but if you are perceived to be, then that's covered under our non-discrimination ordinance in our city. Yes. As well, right? right. So, um, and and the arboretum gets in 2019, I want to say. Over 660,000 visitors from, you know, all over the world, I presume, and they are one of the most well-known, award-winning arboretums all over the world, and they have a very, very large budget. I want to say, don't quote me on this, I have to go back and look, but it's around $25 million. Um, it's not trivial. In, in, no. In just, and I think, so... There's all the funding that comes in from the city of Dallas. So the, we filed an EEOC complaint, and then we also filed, which, which is the, with, in essence, FedGov, and then we also filed with the Fair Housing Office in Dallas. And so the Fair Housing Office is the arm of Dallas that is supposed to investigate these types gotcha. of complaints. So we have both going on at the same time. And then, but Parks and Recreation actually is in charge of that contract with the Arboretum. And so we've been, you know, we're, we're hoping finally now the Arboretum is saying that it's going to file a response to our EEOC complaint. And they asked for, I think it's at the end of this month. Um, and initially the Arboretum was say, stating that they didn't receive a copy of our complaint. And so I think I'm going to go on record right now and say that we, when we filed it back in November, we made sure that we gave the EEOC proper addresses um, both the address, physical address, and also the email addresses of the appropriate folks. And so that was, we filed it on or about November the 19th. And so the EEOC, by law, has to get that uh, complaint to the arboretum in about 10 days. Patty lives right near there. She'd mm -hmm. be happy to drop it off. Sure. If that would help. We're all by there all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I, I just, you know, just to maybe set that little record straight. Um, but I, I think just no to be clear, yeah, right, <laughs> set it straight. Um, just to be clear, the organization that is running the day-to-day -day operations of the Arboretum is not the city of Dallas. It's a subcon. It's a contractor. Five hundred one C three nonprofit that is running it, and they're the ones who do the hiring. And the firing, and the policy making within their their operations. Right. Okay. Right. So it's it's city of Dallas land, but it's not the city of Dallas running the property. It, it runs kind of like Fair Park is run now. Right. It's a private entity managing the affairs inside Fair Park. Uh, Dallas Zoo. Dallas Zoo is its own entity. They can do their own fundraising, but it's a Dallas property, uh, right. and the Arboretum is one of those. Uh, Right. Properties. It's a five hundred one C three nonprofit, right? And mm -hmm. and you can because it's a five hundred one C three nonprofit, you can go look at their uh, all of their tax returns online, which are on their website. Um, so you can tell a little bit more about the nonprofit. But I think it's important to know that the the CEO and I'm not throwing barbs at anyone um, because all of those things come out through the course of a litigation process. But the CEO got there in 1996. So Dallas had a non-discrimination ordinance in 1995, right, yes. that protected mm -hmm. against sexual orientation. And then that ordinance in about 2000 
was included then gender identity and then we get into about 2014, 2015 and we had a referendum by the voters of the city of Dallas that I think David reminded me it passed by 70 percent. 77 percent. Okay, okay. I, I was going to say 67, so in there, really high percentage saying we want to make sure that our non-discrimination ordinance that covers veteran status, right, we were the first city yeah, the state do of Texas that. doesn't even protect um, based on veteran status. Right, and David was the person that told me about that. So then I went and looked at the mm -hmm. looked at the ordinance itself. But we have in our charter, by the citizens' vote, this non-discrimination ordinance, and then city council passed it by a unanimous vote after the citizens did. So that's what the city of Dallas wants, and that's what the arboretum. I remember sitting at a meeting uh, where veteran status came up as something that wasn't protected and our city manager at the time was there talking with us and he said oh you know veteran status is not and it was like he was ready to hear us go no it's us not them and we said well why isn't veteran status included in our non-discrimination of course veterans should be included in in status uh, for non-discrimination. And it's uh, in the charter. If you go to the city charter, it's in section 16. Um, you can look at it right there. And it was expanded from like four characteristics, race, sex, religion, and political affiliation. I think it's got marital status. Too. And now it's got all the things, genetic characteristics, yes. all, all the things are included, including veterans, the military status, uh, marital status. All of those things are included mm -hmm. down. It's, it's quite extensive. So that's and, th and that's what buttresses the chapter 34, which is the employee um, policy, employment policy for employees of the city of Dallas, and then chapter 46, which is the ordinance, which is visitors, people who work within the city of Dallas, and um, was like residents, residents in the city. So, and so I would say thank you to people like Patty Fink. Thank you to people like you, David. Thank you to you. And um, thank you in general. And to our client, right, for stepping up to the plate and being willing to expose their life and to, and to call in, call out, to call out behavior that's harmful to just our basic humanity. And so thank you to all of you for doing those things, right? And it's those small steps of people being willing to go out on a limb and say, look, this isn't right. This is not how we should treat each other. It just seemed real obvious to everybody that was in that room. And you were there, Patty. Mm -hmm. um, there had to have been 25, maybe 40 people there. We were more outraged that other people weren't being covered by some of our ordinances. Uh, yeah. Right. It just just seemed the obvious thing that everybody should be covered. So, and I think too when it went to the voters, again, seventy-seven percent of Dallas voters said absolutely this needs to be in the charter. Um, and I remember Rafael Anchia, State Representative Rafael Anchia, led that charter review commission um, that brought it to the city council and said, "Here are things that we think should be changed in the charter." Um, and then, of course, the the city council voted to include all of those things on the ballot and um, so it's it's really affirming talk about affirmation affirming to know that uh, it's only a minority in our city who are against that against 
they're they're pro discrimination. <laughs> so the rest of you don't want it. Like nationally, right? There's been some recent. Um, I want to say it's PPRI has looked into who favors non-discrimination ordinances, and so right now, about 82 percent of Americans and, and Texans favor non-discriminate comprehensive non-discrimination ordinances and 67 percent of them are republicans identify as republicans so i think you you i think everybody is is on board with that but what you're hearing is those that the small few that aren't on board with that for whatever reason and you know it's everyone should have access to housing should have access to employment should have access to public accommodations, should have access to health care, right? Right. If other countries can do it, why can't we? Of course we can. Um, well, speaking of, you know, the ordinance was passed in Dallas in, in um, May, it was May 8th of 2002, the, the ordinance. And one of those members who voted at the time on the Dallas City Council was Valletta Lill. And um, we've been texting the last day or so, and she's pointed out an event I think we should probably point out as well. Um, and that is um, there's going to be on Wednesday, March 16th, at the Hall of State, as we know, Valletta Lil is a champion for the Hall of State at Fair Park. So it'll be at the Hall of State at Fair Park, um, enter through Gate 3. It'll be Wednesday, March 6th at 6.30, the Dallas Historical Society will remember Dallas's past, builds her future, and so we'll, it will be looking at alternative media in Black, Brown, and LGBTQ communities. And our very own Robert Moore will be there representing um, Dallas Voice. So, uh, so be sure to, to, to attend that. Is it the sixteenth or sixth? The sixteenth. Okay. Perfect. Sixteenth yeah. of, of March. So it's next week. Yes. No. It's this week. Oh, this yeah, coming week. This week. This, this week. week. Yeah, so it's Wednesday at 6.30. Wednesday. Yeah. At the Hall of State at Fair Park. Yes, I work at Dallas Voice. Oh, no, Robert Moore doesn't anymore, okay. so... <laughs> <laughs> didn't know about this. <laughs> and I just saw Valletta. Actually, she did mention something about it, but not with the date. Um, I want to just go back to the Arboretum for one minute. Sure. Um, I know they have not written their... Uh, response to the Arboretum uh, lawsuit. Um, but as an attorney, you would have to be guessing where they're, what they're going to use as their defense. What is their defense? Do they have any? So if I tell you that, I'll have to kill you. So, you know, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what they're going to argue, and, and I don't think that I would want to talk about that on the radio, but I'm, I mean... You know, I'm sure they're going to have some sort of defense, and I think that that they are going to claim is true, right? And and you know, guesswork here. I'm not an attorney, but I work in the uh, legal field also. They say plays one on TV, and <laughs> I, I, I I come across uh, you know um, discrimination cases all the time, and one of the most common responses we see uh, is that they think they are not discriminating. Yeah. That's their defense. Shelley, we're out of time. Thank you so much for being with us again. Thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, come back. Thanks, Shelley. Next week we have people from the uh, Anti-Defamation League. They're holding a march uh, on April 3rd. It's a march against hate. 
we know that there are some people in Dallas who do hate, though, so they would not be interested in the show. But if you are against hate, it should be an interesting <laughs> show. Um, we're going out with some music from Lisa Messiah, and we'll see you next week.